I'm reading from Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 to chapter 2 verse 10. Jonah 17 verse chapter 1 17 to chapter 2 verse 10. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and he listened to my cry. He hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters saddened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have owed you will make, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry ground. This is the word of God. Thank you, Phoebe. So we as Christians believe the word of God is living and active. It still speaks to us today. So our pastor Andrew will come and he'll speak to us in that passage and explain to us what it means for us as Christians today and for non-believers. Yeah, thank you. Welcome again. You've been welcomed before, but uh, I just want to say that it's good to see faces I haven't seen before, that you've chosen to come here this afternoon. I pray that God will bless us as we listen to his word. Now, this passage that has just been read out to us, it's part of a... If, if you would keep your fingers in the book of Jonah, you will find that it's just four chapters. It's a little book, but it's a book that speaks volumes for us. So I'd like to go through uh, what I believe God has a message for us this day. I'd like to pray before I begin, shall we? Father, we ask that you speak now to us from your word and we pray that, Father, we may be attentive to what you have for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been going through the book of Jonah, and we are somewhere in the middle of that book. It's a rather simple story, and it's a short story, just four chapters, but because it is the Word of God, it speaks to us in countless ways. Now, as a preacher, it will be very easy for me to stay on chapter 2 for another three weeks. And I believe that there will be more stuff that we can dig up from. But it's not something we will do. Uh, so don't let me um, send you packing away at this time. Last week, towards the end of my sermon, I made a point that all of us, virtually every single one of us, we are held back one way or another from living more zestfully than we could for God. See, I don't believe that all of us are living fully for God. I mean, I, I, I'm the first to confess that I am not living fully for God. And there are stuff in our lives that stop us from living fully for God. And last week, 
we talked about that a little. And towards the end of my talk last week, I left you thinking about the idols in your life, if you would remember that. But there's one thing I want to expose this afternoon, and that is this. So far, we have seen that Jonah was disobedient. And we have seen that his disobedience stemmed He had problems, okay, for a start. And his problems stemmed from his disobedience. And last week we explored the fact that his disobedience has stemmed from his idolatry. Now we need to find out from where has this idolatry come. If he faced all those problems that he faced, and his problems have come from his disobedience, and if his disobedience have come from his idolatrous nature, why was he, a prophet of God, idolatrous? It's strange, isn't it, to think that a prophet of God would have an idol in his heart. Where has this come from? It is this. For Jonah, his idolatrous nature has come from his failure to understand the depth of God's grace for him. He missed that out. He completely missed out the fact that God is very gracious to him. He didn't get it. He couldn't get it. Now the problem is this. If Jonah missed that out, I think we are in grave, in grave danger of missing that out ourselves as well. Because he's prophet of God. He speaks to God face to face. And if he missed out on the depth of God's grace, it would have been easy for us to, to miss out on God's grace. Now as soon as he came to see this, and we got this from verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could have been theirs. Soon as he came to see this, at this very point, the fish hit the surface of the water and spit him out. It's very curious that as soon as he comes to understand that it is due to his lack of understanding of God's grace, as soon as he recognizes this, the fish should spit him out. Now, I don't want us to pass through that too quickly. He's actually saying two things here. One, he's saying that he's idolatrous. That in his heart, he has an idol. And last week, we identified how his idol turned out to be racism. And we explored how racism could be an idol. And we talked about that last week. But the second thing that he identifies with is this. He comes to see that it is because of his lack of understanding of God's grace that he became idolatrous. He comes to see that only God can save him. And that's why in verse 9 he says, salvation comes from the Lord. So he comes to see this. Now at this point, some of you may be thinking, mm, I'm not sure about that. You might be saying, it may be an interesting subplot of a story, but what has it got to do with me today, living in this age that I live in, facing the problems that I face? How does idolatry come in at all? Well, I believe that it has got everything to say to us, really. I did something last week that I'm going to do again right now. I'm going to read out a number of issues that people like you and I are normally faced with 
none of us are spared. None of us are spared. Every one of us, we face one of these issues or the other. So I'm going to read out some of these issues that we commonly face. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands if you identify one of them or two of them. I want you to quietly own it up in your heart. If one or two pop out and you think, hey, that's me. Okay? Here goes. Insecure, proud, judgmental, self-conscious, retreating, tongue-tied, sensitive, touchy, sense of shame, sense of being judged, feeling condemned, feeling rejected, sense of unworthiness, now at this point, you may have identified one or two that you feel, ah, that's me. I'm ill-confident or I'm touchy, I'm sensitive. Um, okay. It'll be very quick for you and I to think, now those are the problems. Those are the problems. But you know something? Those are not the problems at all. Even if you have identified one or two of those to be what you are troubled with, Really, that's not your problem. That's only a symptom of a deeper problem. And the deeper problem, as I mentioned last week, is idolatry. It's because you have an idol in your heart. It's because Jesus is not your God. But some other gods or goddesses or idols have come to be your God. And they always fail you. They never keep their promise. They will leave you strung up high and dry, all the time. See, Jonah got himself into all this mess because he looked to his idols to save him. And they couldn't save him. They didn't because they couldn't. Now, whether you know it or not, or whether I know it or not, we're all like Jonah. All of us. None of us are spared. We're all like Jonah. If Jonah, a prophet of God, as I've said earlier, who speaks to God face to face, could be blinded as to the depth of God's grace, there is a very great chance that you and I have missed that out completely. I think we have failed miserably to understand the depth of the grace of God. I believe that's the reason why so many of us are jumpy and uptight and distressed and miserable and so tightly wound up I believe that's the problem. I believe it's because we don't understand the depth of God's grace. That's the reason why so many of us are grouchy and grumpy and irritable. That's the reason why we are so over, overly sensitive, so touchy, so temperamental, so judgmental, so ill-confident. That's the reason why some of us are so afraid, so nervous, so anxious, so timid, so distrustful, so cynical, so suspicious. That's the reason why some of us have a deep feeling of shame inside us. Now, of course, your medical doctor will tell you where these things have come from. And your shrink will perhaps identify some other sources from which these have come. And all those self-help books that you pick up from the bookshop, they will confuse you further uh, with their own diagnosis of the problem. But let's take it from the Word of God. 
the word of God tells us that all your problems at rock bottom they've all come from one place and one place alone and that is your failure to grasp the depth of God's grace for you basically that is unbelief and unbelief is sin just that that's all you save a lot of money really not having to go to all those people to help you identify it's all here in God's word now if you should say but I do know God's grace if any of you should right now say but I do know God's grace I'm a Christian after all well I'll get you to ask yourself a few questions am I mesmerized by God's grace am I stunned by God's grace have I experienced in my heart God's grace as infinite and immeasurable? Am I awed by how breathtaking God's grace is? Am I awed by how unfathomable, or how inexhaustible God's grace is? Have I sensed that? Do I feel that? Do I go to bed happy because I enjoy the depth of God's grace upon me? Now when I put the question this way, you begin to see that it is one thing to know God's grace. It is quite another to really experience the depth and the joy that God's grace brings. So God is saying to us this afternoon that all your insecurities and your ill confidence and your distrust and your suspicion and your sensitivity and your fears and your anxieties, they are only symptoms of a root problem. They are only symptoms of the real disease. And the real disease, in fact the mother of all diseases, is your failure to grasp the depth of God's rich grace for you. See, Jonah's misery boils down to this. Even as a prophet of God, he was completely ignorant of the depth of God's grace. You see, until you come to understand the depth of God's grace, until you come to be mesmerized, so to speak, by the grace of God, until you come to be stunned by the grace of God and gratefully saturated by its generosity, you will only be a religious person. And I don't want to be a religious person. I want to be a spiritual person. It is one thing to be religious, that's not good enough. We want, to, we want to be spiritual. We want to be people who are in touch with the Spirit of God. And that Jonah didn't have. Now we see from our reading that Jonah is praying at this point, in that passage that Phoebe read out to us, that prayer was prayed from the belly of a fish. He had been swallowed by this huge fish. So at this point, he's still in the fish, way down down there in the depth of, of the ocean. Now, if you scrutinize this prayer carefully, you will notice that the core central theme of this prayer is the note of grace. That's where I got it from. The note of grace. And from this prayer, he's going to teach us two things about grace. And I want to share that with us this afternoon. First, to Jonah, grace means you have been heard. Twice, he says in verse 2, You heard me. You, you heard my cry. 
he's so excited he says it two times you hurt me you've hurt my cry see Jonah shouldn't have been heard God shouldn't have heard Jonah because he turned his face away from God he renounced his divine commission and God comes to him as God always does in grace even though you've turned your back away from God he still comes running after you and that's what he does here with Jonah so Jonah so God comes to him in grace and God shows him his grace God always accepts the unacceptable and that's what he does here you see fundamentally that's what grace means having been found acceptable when truly you aren't acceptable having the front door open to you when really the front door should be shut tight from you now let me take some time to show you how this works this is immediately applicable to all of us because it is God's word it is always relevant and it is relevant for us this afternoon how is it relevant you ask how is this sort of thinking applicable to me at my time let me put it this way whether you recognize it or not you and i we all have a strong desire to be accepted all of us think about it for a minute we can't live when we know we are not accepted there is a deep need in all of us to be accepted to be welcomed in to be included if you're honest you would admit that there are relationships you want to be a part of which right now you're not a part of are you hoping to get there if you're honest you would admit to the fact that there is a group out there that you want to be a part of there are certain inner circles that you want in but they're not letting you in you couldn't go in it's like they've taken a look at you and they say mm, we've taken a look at you and you're, you're not good enough and you, you you feel that you've been examined and found unacceptable perhaps the way you look perhaps your age perhaps your financial standing for various reasons you couldn't get into that inner circle that you're dying to get into so you say to yourself if only i could get in if only they would get if if only they would let me in i would feel okay i would have a measure of significance about myself think about it there are some places you're still trying to get in and you'd be really gobsmacked if they would invite you in perhaps a relationship perhaps an institution perhaps a small group let me give you an example in 1985 at the 57th academy award robert duval read out the names of the nominees for the best actress they were judy davis cc spisek sally fields jessica lang and vanessa redgrave and the winner was Sally Fields for her performance in Places of the Heart and she went up to the stage to receive this award and holding to the Oscar she was very emotional she said i want more than anything else your respect 
And the first time, I didn't feel it. But this time, I feel it. I can't deny it. That you like me. That you really like me. That right now, you like me. And all the time that she's saying that, tears were streaming down her cheeks. Now, whether she knew it or not, that was the moment of grace for her. Because she was received into the inner circle. A place that she'd been longing all these years as an actor to try to get in. But she couldn't get in. Couldn't get in. And now, finally, she gets in. And it's as if that's, that's all that she ever wanted in her life. This is the desire of every human heart. Sally Fields was honest to confess what many of us are too shy to confess. You and I, if we care to admit, we desperately want someone to notice us. We desperately want someone to take note of us. We desperately want to be allowed in. We, we want to be people, to be with the people we want to be with. Maybe in your line of work, in your research, you dream for the day when you would be asked to present a paper in that important conference in Austria. And you've been dreaming of that for a long time. How good it would be if, 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 if they would ask me to present that paper. All of us, all of us, no matter in what field you are, no matter in what profession you are, you dream of being invited to give that keynote address in that important conference. You, you, you dream to be invited to that dinner, that important dinner, to be included. You know, a child does not have a worry at all in the world, whether he's smart enough, pretty enough, good enough, acceptable enough. A child always trusts that he will be acceptable enough by his parents. But somewhere in the process of growing up, we've lost it. We've lost that innocence. We've lost that confidence. And we become insecure. And we need to be affirmed, to be accepted, to be received by people whom you deem important. But you know something? Ultimately, even if you were asked to give that keynote address, five days later, your heart is still hungry, your soul is still thirsty. Isn't that what Madonna experiences? Every time Madonna gives a performance, she tells us in her interview that five hours after that, she begins to crave again for the applause, for the affirmation of people. There is a bottomless pit in the human heart for affirmation, for love. It's never filled. I mentioned earlier, earlier on, I mentioned the name Jessica Lang, and she experienced this. This is what she said. The main thing that I sensed back in my childhood was this inescapable yearning that I could never satisfy. Even now, at times, I experience an inescapable loneliness and isolation. Oh God, how I remember that feeling though. Sitting on the front step of a summer night and hearing the lawnmower in a distance and a screen door slamming. 
it would actually make my heart ache. Now that sort of language resonates in my own heart. I know how my own heart aches quite frequently. And I've said this many times, John Denver, the country singer, in one of his songs, he said, when you are lying next to me, and he's talking about his dear wife, he says, when you're lying next to me, that is when I'm most lonely. This is the reason why the gospel of Jesus Christ is finally, finally, bottom line, the only thing that will satisfy you and your heart's dream and your heart's longing. If you have never made it in any significant way, if you have never been publicly accepted, or even if you have been publicly accepted and made it, you will still suffer from that void, that aching void in your heart. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says, all you need, all you are running for, all that you are hungry for, all that you are thirsting for, it's really me. God is saying, all that you need is me. If you found me, you don't need anything more. And God comes to you this morning or this afternoon, and he says to me, come in. I've heard your cry. And I wanted to receive you into my love. So that's the first point that Jonah made from the belly of the fish. He hears God hearing his cry. And God lets him in. And he came in. But there is a second point about grace that he makes in this prayer. See, God could have just heard him and did nothing about it. God could have just heard Jonah and did nothing no more. But no, God goes further than just hearing him. Jonah has drowned. We explored that last week. It was a difficult sermon to preach last week because there's a lot of debate whether Jonah died. So last week we concluded that he did. He drowned. And the fish, by swallowing him up, simply seals his death. And then quite suddenly in verse 6, he cries out with great joy, Yet you, my Lord brought my life out of the pit. So he's gone down to the pit and now God lifts his body up from the pit. That's grace. That is grace. Let me illustrate it for us all, what grace really means. Imagine you have a sister that you love so much, your dearest sister. And this teenager comes along and he rapes her and he kills her. You could do one of three things with this young man. Number one, you could treat him with justice. In other words, you could treat him exactly by giving him what he deserves exactly. And that is a jail term. Now by seeking justice, it doesn't make you out to be a bad person. You're simply giving this man exactly what he deserves. So that's the first option you can take. Seek justice. But you can take a second option, and the second option is this. You could treat him with mercy. And that is this. 
You see, number one, treating him with justice is giving him exactly what he wants or exactly what he deserves. But treating him with mercy is giving him a little less than what he deserves. You forgive him. And by forgiving him, you make the rest of the 15 years of his jail term a little bit more bearable because you've forgiven him. So you have been merciful to him. So you did better than just showing, uh, uh, what's the first one? Justice. You release mercy to him. You're a little bit kinder to him. But there's a third thing you could do. And if you did the third thing, you'd be showing him grace. Which, let's say, you did in this story. You not only forgave him from your heart, you did all you can in the next 15 years to mend his broken life. You provided for him. You provided a decent place for him to live when he came out. You provided him with a good education. You worked hard at getting, him, getting his life back on track. You gave him his life back all at your expense. Now that is not justice. That is not mercy. That is grace. And that is what we received from God. God didn't just give us justice. Where would I be if God gives me justice? I wouldn't be standing here. And God didn't just show mercy to me. Again, where would I be if God had just shown mercy to me? But God went one step further. He showered His grace upon me. He gave me what I didn't need, what I, what I didn't deserve. Now, if you think that this makes absolutely no sense, you're right. If you think this makes absolutely no sense, you're right, because grace makes no sense. Grace makes no earthly sense. Grace is unthinkable. Grace is insanely outrageous. Grace doesn't sit well with the human heart. We live in a society that is not based on grace, we live in a society that is based on ungrace. We have not been hot-wired for grace. No. And because we have not been hot-wired for grace, we find grace very hard to dispense to people who have failed us. And number two, we find it so hard to accept God's grace. But the crux of it all is this. If God's grace seems unfair, it is because we have forgotten that he didn't just simply close one eye by giving you what you didn't deserve. He got someone else to pay the penalty that you should have paid. Remember in this story, in order for the Phoenician sailors to be saved, Jonah had to be thrown into the raging waters. Remember that? In the same way, in order for people like you to be saved, in order for people like you and me to be let in, someone had to be pushed out. Jesus had to be pushed out so that you and I may come in. On the cross, he was overwhelmed by the raging waters and he drowned. He died. He died so that you may be saved from the raging waters. And today, no matter what it is that troubles you, whether your issues are relational or financial or professional, 
if you are looking at an idol to save you, you will go on being miserable. Because it can't save you, it won't save you. The Bible says only one saves. Jesus, the Messiah. Because he gave someone else to take your place, you're now free. See, Jonah had an idol. And because of that, he like, he, it, it was like he was carrying a heavy sack of lead on his back. And as soon as he came to recognize that he had an idol and threw that idol away, all oh, the burden that he was carrying just, just simply vanished from his back. At this point, you might be asking, hmm, I'm not sure whether I have an idol in my heart. I don't think I have an idol in my heart. Well, let me ask you, what's the reason why some of you are working your socks out from Monday to Friday? What do you think is the reason why you're working so very hard? What do you think is the reason why some of you are so meticulously perfect in your work? What's the reason you think why some of you must always have someone loving you? What's the reason you think why you could never offend anyone? What's the reason you think why you will always go out of your way to please people? What's the reason you think why you never allow anyone to come near you into your life? The reason for why you overwork, the reason for why you could never disappoint anyone, the reason for why you keep people out of your life is because you have a real deep need to be approved. It boils down to this. You're silently saying to yourself, if only I could be noticed. If only my piece of work could be accepted by my boss, I'd be okay. If only people would take a good look at me and say, you're okay. Your past master, we accept you. See, you're thirsty for approval. You're famished for approval. You're giddy for glory, as I often say. And that is your idol. People's approval of you is your idol. It's just one of many idols, but I believe it is huge. Let me first be the first to confess that it is huge in my own life. The need to be approved. The need, the need to be scrutinized and, 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 and seen as approved. There is only one way you can deal with other people's approval of you. And that is to find the ultimate approval in God. That's the only way. Idols can never be smashed. Idols can never be uprooted. The only way to kill your idol is to replace it with a greater love. And only God's presence can diminish your dependence upon that idol. At the heart of the grace of Jesus Christ is this. He comes to us and he says, I love you not because of anything I see in you. I love you simply because I love you. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God says, I love you simply because I love you. When you finally get this, you'll be a joyful person, and you'll be a humble person, and you'll be a contented person. Joy, contentment, and humility are the three marks of people who get it. People who get it, they are contented, they are joyful, and they are humble. Why? Why are they joyful? Because all that hard work 
to have to look good, to have to look cool, to have to look smart. It just vanishes. You don't have to work so hard anymore. It's a lot of hard work just trying to keep up the appearance. Really hard work. But when that is no longer needed, joy will come flooding back into your life. And that was what filled Jonah's life. He says, with thanksgiving, I praise the Lord. Salvation, salvation, salvation comes only from God. He's filled with joy. He's a free person now. He doesn't need to prove himself anymore. Now, our time is up now. I want to leave you with three notes. Or rather, there are three groups of people. Even this afternoon, I believe, there are three groups of people. One, there are people who have totally rejected this idea of God and sin. They find this idea of grace totally irrelevant in their lives today. They don't want to do they don't want to have anything to do with it. They just can't get to see themselves as bad people. They think they're good inside. They think they're quite all right inside. So they have no time for God, no time for anything to do with God. They believe they are all right just as it is. So they pass grace by first group of people. Second group of people, they sense that they are not right within themselves. They sense that something is not quite right inside there. And they know that God is speaking to them. But they just can't get themselves to believe that God can be so good to give someone else to die for them. They just, they just can't get themselves to believe that God can be so merciful, so compassionate, so gracious to give his own son to die for them. So they too let grace pass by. The third group of people, and I pray that you and I will be found in this third group, are people who look inside and say, yes, in a humongous way, things are just not right with me. I famish for people's approval. I work so hard to get recognized. Life is miserable. Life is hard. The dots never connect. I keep getting it wrong. I just have this sense that I'm, I'm not acceptable by people. I have this ill confidence. I'm nervous. I'm jumpy. I'm touchy. But God is saying to me that if I embrace His Son as my Savior, With his approval of me, I would have no need for any other approval. This is the third group. This is the only group of people who will embrace grace and not let it pass by. I pray that you and I will be found in this third group. I want to finish by saying this. No one is so good that she doesn't need God's grace. And no one is so bad that she can't find God's grace. Or to put it another way, there is no sin that is too small to deserve God's punishment. But at the same time, there is no sin too large that when you confess, you can't receive God's grace. I plead with you this afternoon to believe that God's grace has been released to you. Embrace it. And you'll be free. You'll be joyful, you'll be humble, you'll be contented. Let us pray.
Our Father, you've spoken to us quite clearly. And Father, help us, having heard you, to not turn our back on you, but to go away and to think about what you've just said to us and give us grace to believe that you love us so much you gave your only son to be thrown into the raging waters so that by his drowning we may have life. Lord, help us to embrace this grace and then to live a life that is contented and humble and joyful. And what a joy it would be, Father, to follow you and to live for you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, David.